When aspects of a complex case exceed your personal expertise, you bring in a co-counsel to add the specific insight your firm needs for next-level results. Marketing in the legal industry requires complex strategy and insight far beyond anything you learned in law school. Want more for your law firm? Time to bring in a marketing co-counsel. Welcome to CounselCast. I'm your host, Karin Conroy, your marketing co-counsel. In every episode, I discuss marketing topics with experts who answer your questions and help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hey, and thanks for having me. So yeah, my background is is interesting. I'm not an attorney. I never thought I'd work with attorneys. And I started my business back in 2004, really as a sales coach working with entrepreneurs. And in 2008, I got recruited into the legal space because of something called the recession. And when the recession hit, right, and then all these lawyers had heard my name from many entrepreneurs that I'd been working with and, and having some great results with. And they're like, hey, would you ever consider working with a lawyer? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I would. I've worked in 50 industries. I don't know why I haven't worked with legal. And sure enough, it just went swimmingly well. And then one lawyer became two and then law firms. And then it just blew up. And within like two years, it became about 85% of my total business working with lawyers. And I just pushed my chips in. I said, look, this is an area of need. This is a calling. And this is an area where I can do some real good stuff in. So that that's what was sort of my background written uh, three books. I've got a fourth coming out and um, have this great podcast called Be That Lawyer. And it's all about helping lawyers to, you know, learn business development, networking, things that are going to help them grow their law practices. So that's really my background. Well, Steve Fretzen, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. I've been a follower of your podcast and we had a great conversation earlier. I think it was this year on your podcast. And it has been such an interesting journey to just kind of watch as an outsider because I think you started last February, right? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half. And you've had how many episodes and guests on your on your own podcast? This may sound like a lot, and maybe it's because it is, but it's a, it's over 120 in a year and a half. So I'm not That's sure fantastic. exactly how the math works out, but but I'm doing two shows a week right now, and I'm you know I'm already like six to eight weeks ahead of just of already like like taped episodes. So I'm just finding myself continually getting referred great people to interview like yourself, Karen, and it's been wonderful. That's awesome. So today we're going to talk about, and we're, I think we can kind of pull this idea of your podcast and everything you've been doing there into this topic, but we're going to talk more about networking. And so our big question is how has networking changed in the COVID era? And, it, you know, it's really different because I think when everyone typically thinks of networking, it's like the bougie cocktail hour and everyone's kind of standing around with a plate and a cocktail and trying to like, you know, rub elbows with the right people. And none of those things really apply when we've got COVID. So we have to be creative and find different pathways of figuring things out. But then there's also like kind of rules and, and ways of finding the right people. And so let's start with that. How has it changed in this COVID world we're in right now? Yeah, I mean, you you said part of it in that, you know, the conferences, the face-to-face -face indoor conferences, the dinners, the lunches, the things that were being done day-to-day -day by rainmakers around the world, country, you know, that sort of has gone to the wayside. Now, what might replace that is outdoor activities, right? So, you know, uh, meeting, you know, I've been taking walks with people, actually, and having outdoor coffees and, um, and golf and things like that. 
So there has been some networking that has stayed similar, but the big flip has been the use of, of Zoom as, an, as a networking uh, tool. So instead of having that 30-minute, 45-minute drive to go meet somebody, the two-hour drag-out networking meeting followed by that 45 minutes of shame drive home because you didn't get anything out of it, right? It could happen, right? <laughs> like that's half your day is shot and you're like, oh my God, I hate networking. I never want to do it again. I'm not saying that happens to every lawyer or, or it happens. It happened to me at the beginning. And I, I just yeah, remember just shaking at the my beginning. Head. Oh yeah. yeah I'm but, remembering lots of like way in the beginning memories of that, of that drive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That, you know, that Avon lady or that Amway salesman was really interesting. And you just want to then uh, you know, kill yourself. It's always those MLM salespeople too, isn't it? Oh, yeah, not always. They're, they're rough. A lot of they're times. And so now, now the idea that I can do a 30 or 45 minute zoom you know, build some rapport, learn about somebody else. What are they trying to accomplish? How can I help them? How can I add value? See if there's, if there's some level of, of interest in, in reciprocation, what, you know, defines a relationship in 30, 45 minutes on zoom. And so I think there's a lot of people that kind of said, well, networking really isn't a thing anymore because we're not face to face and that's the only way to do it. Well, I'm still yeah. face to face with you, Karen. I mean, I'm looking at you, right. you're looking at me. So right. we're not shaking hands. So we're not, you know, have, sharing a, a beverage. It's, you know, it still works and it's working super efficiently. So I would say the biggest takeaway or aha is that you could actually do twice as much networking now as you could have done a year and a half ago when you were forced to meet someone face to face. Um, Now now, now it can all be done virtually. So tell me how this is different for you than a sales call. Like from the beginning, how would you walk through uh, a potential client versus a networking interaction? where it's like a sales kind of interaction versus a networking interaction. Yeah. So there's, there's some similar elements to those two activities and I've developed, you know, very simple and easy to follow processes for both of those activities, because what I teach my clients is, as a lawyer coach and in, in, in working with them day in and day out is that, you know, winging it is not really a great strategy. So right. you and I <laughs> could meet in a sales call and I could just, you know, solve all your problems, or I could just sit there and listen to you forever and, and just, you know, and just walk out the door. I could network with you and, 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 and have you spend the whole time selling to me in that, in that 45 minutes. So without a process, you're basically, you know, just like, you know, it's like if I wanted to cook a great recipe and I just take a bunch of random ingredients, throw them on a table and just start throwing them <laughs> in a pot haphazardly. Well, that's what most yeah. people are experiencing. So yeah. when I teach systems and, you know, teaching lawyers to, to, to sell legal services, it's about following a system. So I don't know how in-depth you want me to get, but I can give you kind of some basic steps of either, and maybe that's Yeah, helpful. absolutely. I'd love to hear those. I It relates back. I feel like I, I mentioned this often, but I feel like that, that preschool book, Stone Soup, is just so misleading because Stone Soup is not a strategy. This, this idea where let's all get together and let's throw in all these ingredients and, you know, they, they usually read it around Thanksgiving and it's like, we're going to have this cornucopia of, of this beautiful soup. And I, every time we read it with, when my kids were preschoolers, I was like, it sounds kind of gross. Like it doesn't sound like it's going to taste very good. And there's people who throw that together as their strategy. Like, let's just kind of be creative and like go with the flow. And it's like, no, that doesn't really work. It's just not going to end up getting you anything. There's, there's no plan. There's no strategy involved. So yeah, I would love to hear your steps and how you kind of approach that. Sure. So let's, let's start off with, with, with a prospective client meeting. So a lawyer is meeting with 
um, a general counsel and there's some needs that have been identified. They were referred for a reason. Okay. And yeah. when that lawyer walks in that room or does it on zoom, they need to be prepared. They need to do their research. They need to be prepared, prepared to ask questions and to start to build a relationship, build a rapport. Now, if you see behind me, I've got this autographed Michael Jordan jersey I've had for since 1995, and I love it. It's my, my treasured possession. However, how many people get on a Zoom with me and mention that, and you must be a big fan of the Bulls? Well, I couldn't tell you one name of one player on the Bulls being from Chicago. I just I don't watch really watch sports, okay? And, however, if somebody starts a conversation and says, you know, hey, Steve, I want to let you know I, I happen to read your most recent Chicago Daily Law Bulletin article on don't do what you love, do what you love to do for other people, and it really resonated with me. I'm a lock. At that point, yeah. I love you. I, I want to talk to you. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, bend over backwards to help you because you took the time to research. You took the time to read something. You're bringing it up to me. You're getting me talking about it much better than an observation. So I think we need to be prepared for these types of meetings. Once yeah. we get into the meeting, we want to set the table. We want to establish some form of a game plan because the prospective client is interested in pricing and rates and and solving problems. They want you to solve their problems for free. It's called free consulting. Lawyers love to do it, okay? <laughs> we, we don't want to do that. What we want to consider as our mantra is prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. And that resonates with people because – do you want to solve problems before you even heard the problems, before you even heard how deep the rabbit hole goes? So the agenda establishes the ground rules of how we're going to work this through this meeting together. And what I'm looking for, if I'm the lawyer, is I'm looking for that, that, or for that GC to share everything I can get. I want every drop of information, every drop of pain, every drop of fear, every challenge they're having with their current law firm. I want that all on the table. Okay. And I don't want to solve a thing, not a thing. All right. I just want to ask questions. I want to listen and I want to understand. And that's at the heart of what my sales free selling model is all about. Listening, understanding, empathy. And that's what prospects really want. Even though they might think they want the pricing and they want the free consulting, they really want to talk and they want to feel understood. Once we have that, we can continue putting them through some qualifier steps. Are they committed to solving the problem? Are they, in fact, the real decision maker? And do they have the money to pay and are they willing to invest? And are yeah. they willing to change law firms? I mean, changing a law firm, changing a CPA, these are not easy decisions. These are not decisions made strictly as a transaction. These are emotional decisions. And if you don't have information and emotion on the table, it's much harder to move someone to a decision, that's really a, a good fit for both parties. So that's really yeah. a very small snap, you know, snapshot of what I'm really teaching attorneys. When I bring someone into my internal programs, and I, I don't work with law firms, I only work with lawyers. And when I bring them into my internal programs, we spend months and months and months working on this, practicing this, role-playing this, making sure they've internalized it so they never have to have a crappy meeting again. The meetings end up in one of two ways. They end up realizing there's a good fit, moving someone forward, or disqualifying someone because they're not a good fit, moving them to a no, staying friends if you want, and not having to continue to drag things out when something isn't a good fit. Right. So that's and really you know the, when yeah. it's not a good fit in the in the process, and for myself, I have this, a similar process where the the sale isn't smooth and all of a sudden it's like you shouldn't have to follow up 14 times because first of all for me and i expect for you that's off brand i'm high quality you know the people who want to work with me and who are a good fit 
I have a lot of these processes in place and they don't even have to go through a lot of them, a lot of the follow-up, because if that initial meeting is done right, they're pretty much decided at the end of it. And so you send one follow-up email and it's just a matter of the logistics of getting that, that contract done. Whereas the people who are not a good fit, it's, you know, really kind of pulling teeth and getting them through the process. And that, sh that alone should be a red flag. Yeah, and I think you have to go into these meetings, whether you're busy or you're desperate for business, you have to go in with an air of confidence that it is about the fit. And as long as yeah. you understand that and can exude that confidence, it's like you're the restaurant with the line out the door, even if you don't. It, running a meeting this way puts you in control. It allows you to, to get information that's going to be critical to the understanding of that fit and whether or not you want to continue to spend more time with it or bail. And that's what yeah. it comes down to is time, right? Lawyers have a minimal amount of time. So right. they don't want to spin their wheels chasing after ghosts. They don't want to, you know, drag things out with 20 follow-ups. Let's get to the heart of what's what's being, what's real. And that's really the, the, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish in a prospective client meeting where a lawyer would, would try to accomplish. I have to practice what I preach. I can't teach lawyers my process of sales-free selling if I'm not using it when I meet a new lawyer and walking them through a buying decision to hire me or to work with me. Yeah. So that's really, really critical. So my next question is going to be about a sense of urgency. So have you heard of this idea of a painkiller versus a vitamin? I mean, I have, but you feel free to elaborate. So basically, everybody knows they should take a vitamin. And the jars of vitamins are sitting in everyone's shelf. And they're, you know, I, I should. But, you know, there's, there's nothing really urging me and and pushing me to that vitamin. Whereas a painkiller, I have a, a problem and I am going to drive to Walgreens at 10 PM to, you know, s solve this problem and, and kill this pain. And so uh, there's a sense of urgency built in. There is, you know, something that is, that I am trying to urgently solve. So the idea is obviously you want to be a painkiller, not the vitamin where, yeah, you know, you're solve you're providing some good, valuable information, but you're the vitamin sitting on the shelf and there's no sense of push where people aren't, you know, coming back to that shove idea from earlier, <laughs> there's no sense of kind of shoving someone towards that decision or, or moving the, the needle forward, I guess, is a more gentle way of putting that. So how do you get to that, you know, once you've had the meeting, let's assume all of the information is going well, it's flowing and everything. How do you then uh, become that painkiller where they then want to make that decision more urgently than like, let's just sit on it for the next six months and think about it. Yeah. One of the question tactics that I work on with clients is taking essential, like apparent reasons. Like what's the reason that someone would hire me? So let's say a lawyer doesn't have a business plan or a lawyer is struggling with networking to go back to our original topic. Like they're networking a ton, but they're not really getting anything out of it. Like most people would hear that and be like, oh, this person needs me and I need to solve that problem. Okay. And what I teach lawyers is that's the very beginning of the questioning. So if somebody tells me that they feel like their networking isn't getting them anywhere, my, you know, my go-to is, well, tell me more about that. And then they do, and they tell me more about it, and they're attending this event and that event, and they're meeting with this person. And so how much time is that for you? And how does it, you know, how is it, is, is it, is it hurting your ego when you're spending all that billable hour time and you're not getting any real takeaways or traction with it? And if, if nothing changes, what does the future look like for you if you continue to do 100, 200 hours a year networking? And so we're getting to things like cost and impact and how it makes someone feel and how damaged it can, it, it can be when you work at something so hard and you don't get a result. 
And the end result is that someone at some point will get, it will give me what's called a compelling reason. And the compelling reason is the personal and emotional trigger that says no more. Like I've just, I've just, you know, this is the point where I can draw a line in the sand and say, I cannot continue to do this any longer and I need help. And we all get there with different things. It could be your car keeps conking out. It could be that you're, you know, every time you show up, like my show up from see my dentist and I'm constantly waiting. They, they get me there at 10 a.m. and I'm there to 1030 is when I walk in and then they want to chit chat with me. And I'm like, I got things to do. Like how much, <laughs> how much pain do I need to be? Not tooth pain, but like pain of my time being wasted. Do I have to go through before I decide to change dentists? So yeah. the idea is that there are general counsels, there are CEOs, there are all these people that, that, that are open to changing. They just need to get someone to talk them through or walk them through that they do have pain because most people say, oh, yeah, my, my current counsel is okay or they're, I'm happy, and they're not. Right. They're just no, giving they you that lip service. No, they would be talking to you if they were happy. There's a reason they picked up the phone. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a lot of times where I start, too, is, okay, well, why did you reach out? You know, there you could have done this six months ago or it could be six months from now, but there's some reason. What's that prompt that led you to today? Yeah, and the idea that people aren't aren't spending enough time asking questions, listening, asking deeper yeah. questions. I mean, look at the best interviewers, Howard Stern, Oprah, et cetera. I mean, these are people that, that don't just ask question after question. They ask a question, then they go deeper, then they go deeper until, you know, someone eventually is crying on their table, right? So, <laughs> right, or Dr. Phil, I'm not sure, but, but that's, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not saying that a general, an IP general counsel at a major corporation is going to cry in that lawyer's arms, but can you get them talking emotionally about the fact that their calls aren't being returned on time and how it's impacting their day? The fact that there's piles of work sitting around that isn't getting taken care of because the, the associates on the deal keep getting turned over or whatever. Okay. Right. They're, they might be open to a solution, but not until you find that pain. And that's really at the heart of what good questioning should do. So you find the pain and then how do you kind of pull that trigger of, of trying to get to that decision point? Yeah, so I would I would repeat back what they shared with me, and I'm I'm a copious note taker. So like, when someone's telling me their problems, I don't just you know take it in and then just say yeah, it sounds like you're unhappy, and just kind of summarize <laughs> it. Right? People when people say things, they own what they say. And if I have somebody tell me they I feel like their heads in an oven and and they're drowning in quicksand or they're on the razor's edge, and I can repeat that back and and, and just bring them back into that emotional state or keep them in a, that emotional state. And then I'll say, so, so based on what you're telling me and, and what I've you know, repeated back to you, is this in your, in your opinion, then kind of a could or should or really a must fix situation. And they have to say must fix because if they don't say that, then there's some lie, there's some BS going on that they're not sharing with me. Maybe they're not the decision maker. Maybe they don't have the money or the authority to, to move. Something's cooking, Right. And now I can at least maybe find that out and address it. But in most scenarios, when people tell you those kinds of things and you ask that question that I just gave you, that's a buying signal that a must fix is I, it's not that they're saying they're going to hire me at that point. I'm not asking them that. I'm asking them, are you going to take action to resolve a problem or multiple problems that you have and that, that are, that are causing you, had, you pain? Sorry to interrupt. So no. have you had, when you ask that, is this a could, should, or a must fix? 
what happens if, well, first of all, has it happened where they say it's a could or a should? Yeah. And then what happens? And, and I think in my case, I've had that experience too. And it's pretty much what you said a minute ago. Oftentimes they're not the decision maker. It's, well, I have to go talk to Bob down the hall yeah. or, you know, something like that. There's generally what? two reasons that someone would not answer must. Okay. Number one is that I didn't really do a good enough job in my questioning. I really didn't get them into a state where their urgency is way, way up and they're ready to make a change or they're ready to verbally commit to doing something different tomorrow. I, I have half asked it or I didn't. I just skipped a bunch of steps and therefore I should never have asked that question in the first place. So shame on me. Okay. The, the other situation is what we just spoke about, which is there's some lie or there's some mistruth or there's some stall. There's a reason why they're not able to use the word must. And, and what I would do then in that scenario is I would say, this is a little bit of a Columbo move, by the way. And if you're over 35, you might know that reference. If you're under 35, you have no idea who Columbo is. He's a detective from <laughs> the 1970s uh, TV show. Yeah. And he would do something that would say, like, I'm confused. And I would say, you know, here, you know, you got to help me out, Karen. You've shared with me, you know, and I repeated back to you exactly what you told me, all these things. And when I asked you if this is something that you really, you know, should fix, could fix or must fix, you tell me that, well, it's something I should fix. And I have to tell you, I'm a little confused. I just don't understand how the problems and, 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 and drawing a line in the sand doesn't make sense at this point. And then I zip my lip and I wait. And sure enough, like lightning striking, it's going to be said, well, I, I just, I'm not really in a position to, or that's it. the company can't because, or I was told I need to go get, or whatever it might be. There's something right. going on. And here's the beauty. The process that I teach is a fantastic lie detector because when you spend the whole time asking questions and not talking, you can identify and understand what's real and what's not. And in these scenarios, you can then, okay, so now I understand there's, there's another decision maker. I don't have to keep moving forward with this person. What I need to do is I need to learn more about the other person, the other decision maker, and I need to see if I've developed enough of an advocate in this other person that he or she would be willing to, to work me through how to get to the GC, how to get to the real decision maker, because that's where the actual business is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you have found this too, but I've often found that if you've gone through that process appropriately and really kind of got into that emotional, the, all the pain points and whatever, that all of a sudden this person on the phone is starts to respond and say things like, you really understand this. You really get this. I'm having conversations with you that I haven't had with other people. Yes. And, you know, I really, I really get that. And so that if you do need them to be that advocate, all of a sudden you're, you're a shoe in because the other conversations are way too salesy and they don't come across as though they really understand that problem. So even if you do have to go to that second level, you've already set the ground rules for kind of getting that advocate. Yeah, and I want to just I'll take a second to flip this into the networking because, you know, it, there's so many similarities between business development in a, in a prospect, prospective client meeting and networking because what are we really trying to do there? We're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to identify right. if it's a fit. We're trying to identify if there are any road, roadblocks or barriers to how we refer each other, work together. We're looking to get to a next step or move it to a no because our time is limited. So I just want to share that like a lot of the things that we learn in what would be considered advanced business development education also apply really well to, to networking and how we advance the ball there too. 
Absolutely. And thanks for bringing back to that there because I, I know I've had so many experiences in networking where I see, especially the other person is, you know, we have an initial conversation and they think, ah, oh, I don't think this is the right person for me or whatever. And it just shuts down and, and it's very limiting. And it's also pretty offensive when you kind of are trying to have a conversation with someone and they just kind of are like, ah, oh, you're not useful to me. And to think that within your network, that there isn't someone that would be useful to them, that you could at least make that introduction, or you could somehow within one circle out from yourself, find some way of being useful. It's almost impossible to consider that that wouldn't be the case. So to shut people down so instantly in a networking situation, because you initially think, oh, you know, I don't think, you know, we have anything in common or whatever you're thinking is, is not the way to approach it either. To think, you know, outside of that, to think one or two levels deep on that person's network and how can we be useful to each other. And, and the biggest problem that people have with networking is that they are not considering their targets enough. And, and so you can meet with everybody and, and network with everyone in the world. But you're also billing hours. You're also trying to run a business or you're also trying to, you know, just just, you know, not get pulled into, uh, you know, a full week of, of, of networking meetings that don't go anywhere. So right. I always try to work out right from the start. Who are the people that that are your end users? Who actually hires you for your services? Right. CEOs, GCs, what kinds of companies and all that. But then also, who are the best strategic partners? Who are the people yes. that are running in? So you work with lawyers. I work with lawyers you're doing something different than I. And, on, right. and are we able to bring each other up when it comes across our desk or if we just wanted to proactively get each other in front of some of the managing partners that we know or whatever? And can we do that in, in a way that, that, that we're both adding value to those end users, right, as a strategic Absolutely. partnership? Me meeting with someone who does, you know, life life insurance and they're meeting mainly with consumers, like what's – I mean – the value might be only in a one-time meeting where, where I, out of that life insurance person, introduces me to someone in legal or a lawyer that he or she knows. But it's a one and done. Right. The ones that I want to have are the ones that, that we meet. We think this is like a, a love fest. Then we meet again and we meet again. And we just continue to get deeper where we can help each other and be a resource for each other moving forward. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me what you've been reading uh, specifically related to networking and, you know, what book can you recommend that ties this all together? Well, the best book for, for lawyers in networking is the attorney's networking handbook. And I say that cause I wrote it, but second to that <laughs> selfish. All right. We'll link to that for sure. <laughs> we have a library on the podcast. So we'll link to that self, one for sure. Selfish, horrible plug there, but available on Amazon. Right. But there's a number of books that I've read over the years on networking and I, I think they're good. And I think there's, there's takeaways and all, but I will say that there's a, an individual that I, I heard on a podcast recently and I just bought his book. Now I, I can't say that I've read it because I, I, I've read like six or 10, six or seven pages in, and then I fell asleep because I, I get very sleepy <laughs> at night when I try reading, but I'm committed to read this book this weekend. It's a guy named Mike Kim. It's a, you are the brand. And I got so much actionable content out of listening to a 30 minute podcast that he was on that I just couldn't get to Amazon fast enough to buy that book. And I think what I liked about it was that it wasn't about the brand of, a, of McDonald's or Coca-Cola or what a lot of those branding books are, but you know, I'm an individual business owner. All right. I am the brand. However, right. how am I telling my story? How am I connecting with people? How are lawyers connecting with me? And, and I think I do a pretty good job of that. However, 
maybe not well enough. And so I always want right. to sharpen that saw. And, um, you know, it might, it'll make me a better networker because I'll have a better infomercial or it'll make me a better networker because, you know, I'm just going to be connecting with people on another on a different level versus someone that might, you know, share like, here's all the things I do, which just everybody's bored by that. Yeah, I think personal branding is kind of becoming such a big thing and there's so many ways to do it wrong. So it's always helpful to kind of get a more, first of all, make sure that you're keeping it within the professional box, but, you know, finding ways to bring your personality in without going too crazy. I've talked to a lot of people lately about Clubhouse and TikTok and all these different social media platforms, but everybody's worried about being, you know, a little too weird where they do kind of require a little bit of weirdness at the same time. So it's like, where's the line? How do I figure this out? How do I apply this to, you know, everything else I'm doing with my brand? And so that sounds like a great book. And we will link to that on our little library of books that we have on, on the website. Yep. So, shout, shout out to Mike Kim. <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I feel like that was incredibly uh, useful and, and helpful information. We will have a download with a lot of the tips and, and pointers that you had offered throughout the show. It'll be offered on the website, giving all the resources and tips and suggestions about how to really do networking in an effective way, how networking is different from sales and what we should be considering differently in this COVID world. So thanks again for being here, Steve. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to this episode on the CouncilCast podcast. I know that by implementing what you heard today, your law firm will achieve more. Be sure to visit the website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.